chapter, or First Corinthians chapter 12. Today we want to, we've been looking at the nature of the gifts, uh, the spiritual gifts, and uh, as we go through this, we will be referring to uh, just different, uh, trying to answer some questions about the ministry of the uh, gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church, and what is the applies to us today and what does not, perhaps. Um, and, and, uh, so as we go through that, I'll be speaking about that. But today we want to look uh, primarily at the variety of gifts. This and next week as we will finish this list that Jeff read earlier and just deal with each one specifically that is written and try to explain perhaps what it is. Uh, I think some of these we'll see are ones that we would uh, have Today, that we would use today, some that will be in the list here in the first part of chapter 12 are some that I would say are not uh, to be used today. And I will try to make those things plain as I go through them. Uh, last week, we saw that a spiritual gift, we kind of defined spiritual gifts. It is a supernatural ability sovereignly bestowed upon Christ, every Christian by the Holy Spirit enabling him or her to carry out their divinely assigned function as a member of Christ's body, the church. <clears throat> Perhaps the main thing to see into that is that every Christian has gifts, right? Uh, God doesn't save you to be uh, on the sidelines, uh, whether it be in the church or uh, in life in general. Uh, secondly, they can be connected to natural talent, but not always. Obviously, I think uh, that uh, a lot of times gifts uh, are things that where the Spirit enhances things that we are perhaps able to do by na- uh, naturally, but uh, we are uh, focused upon as, as God saves us. Uh, he enables us to serve in the ministry of the church uh, specifically with those gifts. And uh, so another important thing to remember, though, is that they are given for service. They are not given uh, to gain admiration uh, from others. They are given to edify, to help others. Uh, and I'll mention this now, but we'll talk about it a little bit. I don't believe gifts are given just so we have evidence that the Holy Spirit is here. Which is, I think some people think that the, what the big purpose of having gifts uh, in the church is, uh, especially obviously ones like tongues or whatever, is because that lets us know that the Holy Spirit is here. And I believe that's dangerous and uh, not uh, particularly helpful. So we must get involved with each other for many gifts to be useful. If, if I'm given a gift so that I be helpful to others, then I must be involved in your life. I must know you. I must be present with you. I cannot exercise my gift if I'm home, right? Or if I don't know you, if I don't have any relationship with you. And so we must also have a strong love for Christ and his body, or our gifts will remain unused. And then I believe that Paul's main point in 1 Corinthians, in the use, as he deals with gifts, is the use of the more spectacular gifts that were being used to show off and to despise others. And so these are the ones he deals with mostly, as we saw the different lists in the New Testament. The ones in 1 Corinthians primarily, not in every case as we'll see today, but primarily deal with the ones that were being misused in the Corinthian church. The ones that were flashy, and I believe primarily the ones that were temporary, because they lend themselves to 
to pride. And so those are things that we want to keep in mind. So the last time we dealt with the common source and purpose of all the gifts that are given by the Trinity, by the, by the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so they are uh, the very last verse that Jeff read here is uh, verse 11 where it says the Spirit apportions to those individually as he wills. Uh, there's, of course, a, a great uh, proof text, you might say, that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force of God. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit is sovereign. He gives gifts as he wills. And so it just reminds us of the nature of the Trinity. <clears throat> but um, today we want to look at the specific ones that Paul deals with here in this passage and try to define to some extent um, how these are manifested in the local church setting and if they still should be manifested in the local church setting. Because after all, let's face it, that is uh, the greatest controversy when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we want to have some understanding of whether we should use some gifts or whether we shouldn't. And if we are, how does that, what does that look like, right? And I think a lot of damage has been done because uh, this has been misunderstood by some. And so I guess at the end of the day, you'll have to decide whether you agree with my stance on some of these things or not. But verse 7 sets this up, uh, especially in the words for the common good. They don't build, if they don't build up the church, they are not manifestations of the Spirit. So I am not interested in something taking place, some phenomena taking place in the service that would merely tell us that, well, the Holy Spirit must be around here because Sister So-and-So is speaking in tongues. What I, there's a better way for us to know whether the Holy Spirit is among us. And perhaps in your mind you can think of what that is. I'll, I'll talk about that here in just a moment. And, and some say, though, that because of this verse, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, that the, the point there is that the, 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 the biggest purpose of the gifts is to let us know that the Holy Spirit is among us, that he's manifesting himself. It's basically, you know, if I speak in tongues, for instance, the Holy Spirit is uh, is is present because he's the one who gave me that ability to do that. So we can say, hey, this Holy Spirit is here. This is a sign of the Holy Spirit. But of course, the issue is, who cares? What, what does knowing that the Holy Spirit is here uh, doing for us? And I think in another sense, we know the Holy Spirit's here because God is uh, omnipresent. But why does that matter? I think it misses the point. They are manifestations of the Spirit's work, but they are given to us to build us up in Christ, not to cause us to focus on the Holy Spirit. Again, this is, I think, part of the problem with a lot of the charismatic movement. They're focused on the Holy Spirit. They want the Holy Spirit to be present. Well, we're here to be built up in Christ. And if the Holy Spirit is here, it is because we are being built up in Christ, because the Word of God is building us up in the faith. The Holy Spirit isn't here to be admired. He's here for us to worship Christ. And so, how do we know if the Holy Spirit is here? 
They say, well, gifts. Well, no, because those gifts don't edify. I would say that if the word is being faithfully, faithfully proclaimed and humbly received, to me that's a much more important evidence of the Holy Spirit than tongues or some sort of mystical thing that's going on that we really can't explain. Does that make sense? I want the Holy Spirit to be here. It's imperative that he is here. But if we aren't being built up in the faith, the word of God is not doing anything to us, we're not being transformed, then the Holy Spirit's not being here. And I believe that there's a case in many services where the manifestations of the Spirit are being exercised, but no preaching's taking place. Therefore, no edification is taking place. And then you have to wonder, is it the Holy Spirit or is it another spirit? And I believe that's always been one of the problems. And I don't want to paint the entire charismatic movement with one brush because there are certainly different groups and some that are, I think, at least better than others in, in all this. But to constantly pray to the Spirit for flashy gifts, but not to pray and not to be focused on understanding Christ and truth, uh, you have lost your focus. You, you're praying for the Holy Spirit, but you're not praying for the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And it makes no sense. The end or point of our faith is not ecstatic gifts, but conformity to Christ. And so the gifts are not ends in themselves. And some people look at verse 7, and, and that's what they kind of see, for instance. <clears throat> they, they pray for gifts. Because I think that proves that the Holy Spirit is present. But the aim of the church, the purpose of the church service is not to find out if the Holy Spirit is with us or not. We want the Holy Spirit to be here. We need to obey the word of God and put forth the word of God. So conformity to Christ is the proof of the Spirit. And so in verse 8, each of these gifts, I believe, are evidences of the Spirit's work. But that isn't the end in itself. In other words, the gift of knowledge and the gift of wisdom is not an end in itself if it doesn't serve a purpose in the local church, right? So just as important is that what does each of these gifts look like when they are used? Now just to be clear, I take the position, I've already talked about this, that some gifts' main purposes were for the establishment of the church to help while the Bible is being uh, fully uh, revealed or or, uh, inspired. Uh, We'll see uh, when we get to chapter 13, for instance, that there were some gifts that were prophesied in the Old Testament, and that these things were manifestations that when you saw them, they let you know that certain things were happening. And that's what we call a sign gift. Sign gifts would be gifts of tongues, prophecy, that is a new prophecy, new revelation, and healings. These were given, uh, among other things, not just to edify the, to proclaim the word of God, but they were to, they were saying something. And I'll just go ahead and, and, and say it now, and we'll get to it later on in, in our study. <clears throat> tongues. The Old Testament lets us know that when when you saw tongues you knew that God was doing something. In this case, that the, that the new covenant had been established. 
and that things had changed. The Holy Spirit had been given, and we lived in a different age. And some of the tongues were sign gifts of that, that that uh, the kingdom had come, right? And that, that Jesus had done his work. And that's all they were for. So once that became established, and the church had the full revelation and understood that we now live in the church age, the sign gifts are no longer needed because the, the, the whole point had uh, their, their whole point had been established. And so I won't go so far as to say that some of the sign gifts never are seen during the church age, but if anything is obvious, such times are extremely rare. Uh, and and uh, historically, have a very difficult to verify. And that was I, I never consider a sign to be from the Holy Spirit if it can't be verified. Otherwise, what's the point? A sign is a sign. It's telling us something. It's pointing to something. And so, if we're all sitting there and something's happening, we don't really know what's going on. Then, is that from God? Is God that bad of a communicator? And so. I believe that it's possible you where you see it is perhaps in, in, where a missionary might go to a place that the gospel had never been before, and they, there are reports of things happening when the when the gospel got hold of people and a church was formed. That there might have been some things there that would look like a miracle, or, or perhaps look like tongues or whatever. And in that case, if that happened, fine. It, it, but it would just support my position that it was for a um, purpose, an initial purpose to establish the church. And I think, again, 2,000 years of history, of church history, cannot be ignored, that you just don't see credible evidence of the signed gifts on any kind of a routine basis. So positions that tell us that the church has missed an important truth all this time, where we haven't had tongues and, uh, you know, that, so we've been missing out on miracles and all these kind of things. Anytime someone says that the church primarily has missed it and I'm here to get us back on track, you know that probably they're uh, incorrect and dangerous to some degree. And so even ones who hold that all gifts are being, are for us today, and are at the same time what I would consider to be doctrinally sound, and there are some like that, they don't use the sign gifts to any appreciable degree as a rule. And again, I think that means something. So, uh, I know some good men who aren't confident enough to say that the sign gifts have passed away and we're never to see them again. I understand the hesitancy of to, to take that position because, again, you know what God does and, and how God works. I want to be careful that I don't. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm telling God what He's got to do, right? If if God wants to send a, you know, a gift of tongues or healings or miracles or prophecy, I'm not going to ever say that He can't do that because I, I'm not so confident in the in, in my understanding of the Word of God to say that, right? And so I know, guys, I, I know, I, I can name names right now, men that I know, who believe that the sign gifts have more or less passed away, but they're not, they, they would never say that it can't ever happen. 
But they would also turn around and say, now if you feel like you've gotten a word from the Lord, that God has spoken to you, not through, as we'll talk about later, just through the Holy Spirit, through regular preaching and reading of God's word, but that God has spoken to you something, a message to you, inspired you. All right, fine. But keep it to yourself. Because if God has told you what you need to do, that's fine. But he has not told me what I need to do except through the word of God. So as long as you keep it to yourself and it doesn't contradict God's word, then you know, I'm not going to make a big deal over it. When you start going around saying that God has told me something and now I've got to tell you something, you begin to take the place of God's word. And that's where we're going to have a problem. And I know some men who take that position and I uh, would not argue with that. Uh, keep it to yourself, and we'll be okay. Clearly, the Lord loves uh, diversity uh, in the church. He has established in our text here that each one of us have tools. They don't always look alike, but it makes us a useful part of the body. Uh, and we so we need each other. We don't need everybody to have the exact same gift. We need people who have different gifts to help the body do function as, as it needs to. And so in some ways, this is obviously pragmatic, as, as a few cannot do financially what many can do, right? Uh, without a body of believers, there could be no accountability. Uh, so it's just obviously there's, there's a sense in which you need a group of people to come together with gifts to do God's work. But also when it comes to the spiritual needs of the church, each have their unique abilities that are enabled and enhanced by the Holy Spirit. So, you know, some, uh, you know, a political dictator doesn't like diversity. Of, uh, you know, wants everybody to conform to to, to 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 what he wants them to conform to, right? That's kind of what we see going on today with the people who want everybody to be the same and, and nobody to upset the apple cart. Well, the Lord is is our Lord. But he wants us all to come together and to be different. And he gives different gifts for the good of the church. We don't all have to look alike and have the, uh, the same gifts. And so the first the, the, the few we want to look at today, uh, beginning here, uh, are the utterance of wisdom and knowledge, as he talks about here, and then faith. And then we'll, we'll uh, deal a little bit with tongues at the end. <clears throat> And we're going to see here that we need all of those things and, and that we don't need everybody to do all of that, but we need all of those gifts in some. So, utterance of wisdom. That was a good place to make the point that I see no scriptural warrant to assume that these gifts listed here, like prophecy and knowledge and the like, must always refer to new revelation. These gifts uh, are listed in a way in which sign gifts are listed right along with, I think, gifts of today, and that makes it more difficult. And I can understand why someone says, well, if, if the gift of faith is, is today, why can't the gift of tongues, which is spoken of right after that, why can't it be for today as well? And I understand the problem, but remember that in Paul's day, all these gifts were uh, normal at that time, and so he's listing them to make a point. But here, the first two, the, the gifts of wisdom and knowledge, as well as faith, obviously as well, 
But I see no reason to assume that these is only referring to new revelation. You know, it very well could have been a case where somebody was given a, a word of knowledge, a word uh, that the finished canon hasn't been established yet, and so they speak to the church. I, I believe that happened. But there's a way in which we can look at these and say, you know what, we need these things today, and I want to kind of come at it from that direction. <clears throat> this isn't to say that in some cases, especially with tongues, there wasn't new revelation since they didn't have the completed canon. But it's funny to me that so many assume that verse 8 must fall into the category of new revelation. When we do this, though, we downplay the practical benefits of these gifts and make them all about special words from God. In other words, Edward, I'm going to talk to you in a moment about why I believe it's so dangerous for anybody to say, I have a word from God. Instead, to see the word of knowledge, and we really could reverse these two, knowledge would come first, wisdom second. To say that I understand God's word can be a gift. To have a gift where I can, I have the wisdom to apply God's word, to teach that, to, to spread that wisdom. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful gift. But that's far different than saying that I have a new word from God, previously unknown, and now I'm going to tell you about that word. Now, now we've crossed a very clear line. So one is gifted to be solid in doctrine, another in the application of doctrine. Again, knowledge and the application, which is wisdom, because wisdom is just the application of what you know, the good application of what you know. Having said that, I would not argue that these couldn't be part of new revelation in, in Paul's day, as I've already said, but tongues seems to appear especially to prove that the Holy Spirit was at work in the initial sense. We think about Acts. What, when were tongues seen? When somebody was saved, and especially when they received the Holy Spirit, the tongues were clearly not given as revelatory. They were given as evidence that I had received the Holy Spirit. And again, we're going to see in, in the Old Testament, there's prophecies concerning that very thing. That was the purpose of tongues. So maybe tongues sometimes, like with the apostles, priests at Pentecost, they spoke in tongues, obviously. So tongues could be used for revelation. But their primary purpose was to let people know that the giving of the, of the Holy Spirit had taken place. <clears throat> and so, remember, that this is what we read in Acts, and this first and second Corinthians were included in the time frame of the book of Acts. And so when someone was brought to Christ in the gospel, they would speak in tongues. Now we'll show later on, as, well I've already said that, that, that there was another purpose for tongues as well. So, Wisdom, then, is applying truths that have already been discovered from God's Word. I think we can better understand it, as I said, by putting the second gift of utterance of knowledge uh, before, because you have to have knowledge first before you can extract wisdom from that knowledge, right? And then it becomes profitable. So does not the church need people? 
to show us how to apply truth in our everyday life? And uh, can we not say that even today, people are given uh, an ability? Again, we all have it to some degree, but there are just some who are just good at applying Scripture, of, of pointing out the, where this really, uh, and here's an application of Scripture. People have the boldness to do that. They have the ability to do that better than others do, right? And I think that would be a, the gift of the utterance of wisdom. <clears throat> now, to some degree, the elders should have that gift. I mean, that would go without saying. The elders, which teach the Word of God, should have some ability to apply uh, that gift. Uh, not everybody has to have it the same a measure by any stretch. But think about many of the great authors of, of books uh, throughout the uh, centuries. Who have, who have the gift to write on a subject with great usefulness in our eyes, to take a subject and to delve into it and to extract uh, some of the good things of God's word and to show us how to apply that. That's a gift. That's a gift that not everybody has. <clears throat> and certainly not to the same extent. Think about one who counsels. Someone who has the ministry to be able to counsel to to when someone has a problem, to be able to take it to the Word of God and to show them how the Word of God answers that problem and meets that need. We need a we need church with people who have a the gift of wisdom to apply Scripture. <clears throat> we need people who can know Scripture, but also can apply Scripture, and that again brings us to the utterance of knowledge. <clears throat> which can refer to the enhanced ability to perceive and understand the revelation from God. I mean, some people understand God's word better than others. We all are to study God's word, right? But there are some who just understand it better. Again, the elders have to be in that group. Does it mean that there are people in the congregation who might in some ways understand it better than them? Some who can apply it better than them. But obviously that would be a case where they would need to have this gift. <clears throat> but it doesn't mean that it has to be something previously unknown and then suddenly revealed. The, the, the Word of God has been revealed to us and it is our, in our interest to study it, to learn it. And again, it doesn't mean that our natural abilities aren't involved to be able to do this for the good of the church. But again, we know that, again, I'll try not to say it again, again. Um, but we know that there are some who uh, are just, just understand it better. You have questions and you go to them because they know that they, that God has gifted them in, in one way or another. <clears throat> and it doesn't mean that one has to be particularly educated. I've known a lot of people throughout the decades who maybe didn't have much schooling, weren't necessarily considered to be the brightest person you've ever met, but they knew Christ and they were given insight. They, they knew things. They, 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 they said things that edified me. And, and we all know there are people who go to seminary and just because you went to seminary doesn't even mean you're a Christian, let alone that you do very well with the Word of God. It, it's again, these things are the Holy, the Holy Spirit has got to help us. <clears throat> and so, this this 
idea of, of utterance of knowledge doesn't have to mean, and I believe it's it's detrimental for it to for us to assume that it means new knowledge, rather knowledge from God's word. And let me give you some uh, thoughts on that. <clears throat> In some otherwise sound churches that believe that all the gifts are for today, and I'm using an example that someone told me about last week that uh, you know. I, a very specific example that I think illustrates the point. Uh, there, there are churches who are sound overall. They understand the gospel, the sovereignty of God, and so forth. But they believe that these gifts are continued. <clears throat> and so they uh, heard of one where they have open mic night. In my and, and if someone comes up and says, I believe that God has spoken to me and has a message for me. To tell you, and in this particular case, I believe that there are some in our before me now who are considering cheating on their spouses. And so the Lord has given me a word to warn you against that. I believe I, I related that properly. Well, um, you got there's all sorts of problems we got now because first of all. <clears throat> How do you know God spoke to you and wanted you to say that and that it wasn't just a thought that occurred to you? Uh, another thing is that, that as soon as I heard that particular illustration, I've certainly heard that kind of thing before. The first thing that popped into my, you know, skeptical mind is that sounds a lot like uh, going to a uh, fortune teller because the Lord you know, if I can stand up, for, especially if you've got a larger church, and I stand up and say, you know what, the Lord has told me that some of you are thinking about committing adultery. Well, that's kind of like you a shotgun. You're almost surely going to hit somebody. And so you've said something nebulous, something that can't be verified, uh, but you have said this is from God, and so therefore we can't, we can't you know, we've got to take that very seriously. All right, so you got you got problems. <clears throat> but let me let me just throw this out to you. Couldn't the preacher or even that person just quote from the already given revelation the same morning? In other words, hasn't God already told us over and over again? We're studying Sunday school the, the aftermath of David's uh, adultery, right? Don't do it. It's wrong. God doesn't, didn't create us to do those things. It will lead to all sorts of bad things. It, it's, it's harmful to you, to others, to the family. Don't do it. God has already said that over and over again. Why do we have to have somebody have a special word from that? And, and they would say, well, you know, it didn't contradict God's word. It really uh, repeated God's word. But to me, that just is the same problem. Then why did we have to have it to start with? We might say, well, if I'm guilty of this, and someone stands up and says, God has told him about me, maybe that he's my name, but, you know, I know that it was, I'm guilty of that, then God has used that to shake me up. Well, I suppose that's true, but are you so weak as not to realize that if you're having those thoughts, God already knows about it, and you already know what God thinks about that, 
you already know that what God's will is that you not do that. Why aren't you shaken up, you know, by that thought to start with? The Bible has already spoken to your heart on that one. One of the big problems I have with these kind of gifts is that they cannot be verified. And so it always, these questions come to mind. So how do I know God told you that? I, I just don't know. Yeah, it might be true. But when we go around saying that God has told me something, not not not, not impressed upon me from God's word, He maybe brought something to my mind. But even then, we don't we don't know. You know, we, we, obviously the Holy Spirit brings the word of God to our mind, absolutely. But when we start saying that God specifically funnel things into my mind, we're talking subjectively. We don't know. Uh, many of you are probably too uh, young to remember uh, Jim Jones and the what that, Temple of what, whatever that was down there. That they were down in Ghana or someplace, uh, not Ghana, but uh, the, uh, South America. Yeah, Johannesburg. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a long time ago. It was in the seventies, <clears throat> and he was a typical cult leader. He had an inside track to die. And uh, and once you say that, and if you buy into it, you can't ever disagree with the person, right? That, and that's the problem. Once someone says, God has told me something, either you reject it out of hand or you buy into it totally. There's no, you, you, that's all you can do with God's word, right? And so that's why you got hundreds of people drinking poison Kool-Aid and committing suicide because their leader has told them that was God's will for them. And this is the problem when we believe that God gives us new revelation, that God gives us special words, that we are to communicate those words to others. We put ourselves in the place of God, and we put ourselves in the place of the Word of God. <clears throat> and so I can stand up here, and especially if I have a large church, I can say something like that, and almost always nail it on the head, and uh, you don't know one way or another, but when I do, you, you're impressed by that. It's like people who are taken in by the, the, the palm readers. Well, you know, he, he said something that could have happened. Anybody could have said, but we, we get, we, we let ourselves get duped. <clears throat> so in other words, do bells go off in our minds when God, like this guy who stood up and said, God has told me this. How does he know that? Do, do bells go off? Because I have a lot of thoughts that I believe probably God impressed me, but I know I got them from the Word of God. I saw a situation and I was able, no doubt with the help of the Holy Spirit, to, to make application to see where the Word of God helps that, and maybe go speak to somebody. And I, what I'm doing is I'm obeying God's Word. I'm doing that because I love Christ and because Christ has told me to do that. I don't need Ding, ding, ding. Uh, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. I need you to go do that, see. Because that, then all of a sudden, since you don't have bells going off in your mind, and you have that thought, then, if, and if you say, well, I think that's the whole, that was God telling me to do that, then you gotta do it, right? Because you can't disobey God, and then it turns out that wasn't a good idea. Well, now whose fault is it? Is it the Lord? Well, no. It's because you mistook a thought, 
and you didn't weigh it carefully, perhaps you added, um, acted rashly, rashly, and God got blamed for something that God had nothing to do with. <clears throat> so can I not just say that because the Bible teaches me to love my neighbor, and I saw this need, and so I applied scripture, I did it, and leave it at that. And is that not being faithful to say the Holy Spirit enabled me to do that? I, I, I don't live a selfless life without the need of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, I will lead a very selfish life. I, I, I'm bad enough at that as it is. So it's one thing to be led by the Spirit in the application of the Bible, but it is another to know that this particular thought is definitely from the Lord and to tell others that the Lord definitely led me to speak to you because nobody has any idea to of how to verify that. And I hope that makes some sense. <clears throat> and so, this is clearly, I think, a foundational gift for preachers, and counselors, teachers, and so forth. We are to study. We all are to study and to know the Bible. But for the most part, we all need <clears throat> gifted speakers, those who can teach us and and help us apply it. And I need that. I need. I listen to men who have gifts to help me exercise my gifts. And so in another sense, even the most gifted teacher needs other teachers to learn and to be corrected by. And can we not look around uh, the world today and acknowledge the obvious gifts of some in this area? And of course, I know we all do. You know, many times you come to me and say, I heard a great message by this person or that person. I read this great book. They're exercising their gifts. <clears throat> Some have an amazing gift to see a situation or a problem and use the scripture with great insight. And they are counselors. <clears throat> we thank God for this, but that's far from new revelation. And bear with me, my, my throat. I, I think like some of this with the uh, that upper respiratory thing is. Uh, I. I and better today, but I suffered with that most of the week, and so still a little weak. So bear with me. If I had the gift of healing, I would have healed myself, but I don't have it. So. so as I said, even some who never had much formal education have these gifts, and it's obvious that they have an understanding of Scripture that goes beyond their training, right? <clears throat> but anyone who says that they have the gift and have received new revelation, as far as I am concerned, is a deceiver. Now, they might be mistaken, they might not mean to, to do that, but I believe it is deception. that They have been deceived. I imagine that many who think that they have received special insight have merely been led by the Spirit to see the application of certain texts, and that they have not had the words funneled into them by the Holy Spirit, they merely have done with the all Christians do, and that is to uh, use application of, of what they learn. It can never have the idea of inspiration or direct re- revelation from God to the church, because if, it, if we have that, it undermines the Bible. And all the different cults, the Roman Catholicism, who tell us that there are other truths that guide us besides God's word, we have no argument. Because if God is giving new revelation, how do we know? that God did not tell somebody uh, back centuries ago that Mary is to be adored as Christ is. Yeah, how, do, how do you know? 
Well, I know because it's not in God's word. And I don't have to worry about it after that. Right? And, and when it's obviously contradictory to God's word, then that just those helps even more. <clears throat> All right, let me just... Oh, boy. Let me see. I've done a very bad habit here of not getting through my messages. And, uh, let me just <clears throat> deal with the gift of faith. Really won't be too far off. It is not difficult to realize that we all have this gift of faith, right? You can't be saved without it. And we all exercise, we are to live by faith, right? But clearly, <clears throat> there are those who have the gift of faith in a way that not everybody has it as well. In other words, there are some who are so solid on the word of God, so strong in their faith, that when adversity comes, when our world gets turned upside down, they can stand and proclaim the truth and, um, you know, edify us and encourage us uh, when maybe we're shaken and we're about to do something we shouldn't. Someone can come along and say, be strong in the Lord. That there's a reason for this. They have the faith to help us and to help others. I think that's the idea here. You know, over in chapter 13, verse 2, we'll deal with this later on, but it says, And if I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith as to, to remove mountains in it, it just reminds us that we all have different amounts of faith. And there are times when we have the faith to move mountains, and there are times when we, ha- we don't hardly have the faith to do anything other than just, uh, you know, cry out to the Lord, uh, and we, we fall on our face, right? So to have this this gift causes one to immediately rest on the promises and the truths of the Bible and not to get caught up in the panic and depression, the anxiety that sometimes others tend to when difficult things arise. I've often seen it when someone immediately starts worrying and complaining. uh, All they can do is focus on the problems. And someone can come along and just encourage them and, and, and remind them of biblical truths and see them through that, right? They, they exercise the gift of faith. They're a stable voice of truth. And there's times when we all need that. So Someone to put their finger over our mouth and say, right, wait just a minute. You're, you're, you're talking like somebody without faith and, and you know better, right? <clears throat> Sandra and I do this for each other often. When one maybe gets thrown by something. The other one reminds us of the truth of God's word. We balance each other out. And so while we all are to have, want to grow in our faith, we, we want, we need those who have that particular gift so that they can help the, um, the church. And certainly the elders are, have to have that faith to some degree because, you know, the elders in times of, of difficulty and uncertainty, the elders have to be those who can stand up and say, "Wait just a minute." Thus says the Lord. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to, we're not going to panic. And sometimes the elders need to be told that. You know, sometimes we don't get it. We, we don't have it there right when we should. Right. The, the, to me, this is a, a gift that we need uh, very badly. There's one example of this, and, and then we'll close. <clears throat> In Acts 27, 22. Yet now I urge you to take part 
this is Peter when or Paul when they're they're uh in, in the, on a ship in the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and there's a great storm, and it looks like all is lost. And he says, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, to whom I belong and to whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid. Paul, you must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those things that come with you. Now, ironically, <laughs> That's a gift of knowledge that was new information, that it was not revealed from God's word. The angel told Paul, this is what's going to happen, right? But he said, well, preacher, I thought you said you don't believe that it happens anymore. No, I don't. But it's happened in scripture. It happened when he didn't have the whole word of God as an example. Now that God has spoken in Christ Jesus, when we're shipwrecked, when we're uh, in danger, when we don't know what's going on, we can stand up and say, you know what? God has told us that all things work together for good to those that love him. That even if I die, I'm going to be with him the next moment. I'll be with Christ to, to live is, uh, to die is, uh, to, to live as Christ, to die is gain. Right? So that's all, that's all Paul's doing. He's, t- the, what he has been told, he's acting upon it. He's telling others, he's encouraging them. And I think that's a good example. <clears throat> there are great examples of that in, in uh, church history. We'll go into all that. But, you know, uh, we've been praying for Ryan. Uh, not the one that Jeff was praying for earlier. That's, a, that's another Ryan who's in a similar situation. Sandra and I know a, a Ryan, a young family who went to Af- Afghanistan uh, years ago uh, in, as missionaries and when Biden and, and that whole fiasco of leaving Afghanistan they, they were just barely escaped and then he turns around and because of his concern for some of the people he was ministering to he goes back himself and he ends up in prison. He's been there for at least a year. Don't know what's going to happen to him. And, and I don't know whether that was the right thing for him to do at that point. You know, who that's between him and the Lord. I do know though that the Lord will take care of him. He has been an example to me, an encouragement to me of someone who's living by faith, who says, you know what? This serving the Lord is more important than my safety. Even in this case, uh, before the needs of his family, he went back there to serve the Lord. And what happens, happens. But we need people who will put them, themselves at risk. And hopefully we're all like that, right? So people to set the example. I need to see. That's why we have testimony. I don't, I'm having a hard time getting the church to embrace that. But I need to hear from you what God is doing, what you're learning, how you're applying scripture in your life. I, I need that example. I need that encouragement. And these are gifts that I believe are gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that, that it still apply today. And I hope that these are things that we all want to grow in. We'll stop there before my voice gives out. Any questions or comments?